This is the Backpack Friends audio experience. Hey, podcast, what's good, man? Hey, uh, today my guest uh, is Serena Freeland, and you're going to love hearing from her. You're going to get a lot of value. You're going to learn some things. You're going to be inspired. But before we hop into it, uh, you need to know that today's episode is sponsored by Just Between Friends. Now, I know we've all faced some unique circumstances in the last five months, uh, and it's probably left us wondering what's next. But one thing we know for sure is that my kids, your kids, they haven't stopped growing. And I don't know if you've spent any extra time at home cleaning out their closets and discovering uh, what they don't have to wear anymore. Uh, but there's a solution, and it's not going to break the bank. So, see, Just Between Friends is this large biannual um, children's and maternity consignment sale. JBF offers a way for bargain-savvy families to save up to 90% retail price, uh, but also provides an option to make money by consigning your own items. And more importantly, it's all local. So you're helping your friends and other families in our community provide for their family when you shop. And at the end, items that are left over, remaining at the end of the sale, are donated to local charities who then are able to do continue helping those families in our community. Now, the good thing is the next JBF sale is right around the corner. It's here in Pflugerville, July, thir- July 30th through August the 1st at Concordia High School, located at 1201 South Heatherwild Boulevard. It's not too late to register uh, to be a consigner. You can get details on the website along with all of your free shopping passes, all of those details are at jbfsale.com, jbfsale.com. Check it out. Um, We will see you over there, and let's get into the podcast. Hey, y'all. Welcome to this episode of the Backpack Friends Audio Experience. Man, I'm really, I'm super stoked about our time today because you are in for a treat. Uh, For those of you who may not know, my guest today uh, uh, is Serena Breland. Um, She's got more than 15 years of local government experience. Um, currently, she is the first female city manager of Pflugerville. Uh, by the way, um, to my knowledge, and Serena can correct me on this, but to my knowledge, Pflugerville is the only city in Texas with a female city manager and a female police chief. Um, so that's pretty cool. Woo-hoo. Um, so she served as city administrator with the city of Goliad, Go Bearcats, um, supported a support services director in Sugarland. Uh, created commercial recycling program for 32 schools when she was in Denton, Texas. And uh, she also taught government and economics for Mesquite and Garland ISDs back in the day. So she's got degrees from UT Dallas, um, from Stephen F. Austin University in NAC, uh, Axon Jacks, right? Uh, daughter of a retired full bird colonel who is also a chaplain. So Serena um, is kind of a mix of preachers. Right, I think that probably takes a lot of uh, therapy. I don't know what that means. She has been called a serial CEO, and I just kind of know her as the blonde chick behind the wheel of a 32 Roadster in town. So she is a wild blend of strategist, optimist, servant leader, consummate professional, and uh, snarky humor. So yeah, I'm kind of a fan. So please welcome to the show my friend, Serena Breland. Serena, thanks for being here. Tom, thank you. You were too kind. <laughs> no, listen, I, I appreciate you taking time. You are a busy, busy woman. Um, I'm not really sure how we initially connected, 
Um, I don't, I don't even know, but I just looked up one day and you were in my circle of life and I went, I, I like this. I like this chick. Um, I actually referred to you this week to my producer that I think you're kind of my spirit animal. So I don't really know what that means, but it just seems accurate. So uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for uh, spending a few minutes with me this morning. Um, I know it's busy, uh, but t let's just start. Tell me, tell us, the Backpack Friends Nation, what, uh, what led you into local government and public service? How did you get to where you are? Sure. Thank you, Tom. Um, I share the same sentiment about you and the work that you do to bring people together. Um, we need more of you in communities. Um, so, you know, the, the part about my father being a, a chaplain, I think, was very shaping very early. Um, I didn't realize till later in life that you actually had to pay for things like dry cleaning and, and, and services because the community that my father um, raised us in in Garland, Texas, outside of Dallas, his ministry um, reached so many parts of the community that people would uh, pay for his dry cleaning so he'd have a fresh suit to preach in or, um, you know, the break job people because he believed in going and sharing with them food. It, it was his way of engaging in a community that it wasn't until later that I realized how expensive dry cleaning was. I had no idea. Um, and so people really um, engaged with him. And I learned in an early age that microcosm of community, um, just that my father was able to build in Garland is still pretty amazing. Um, and, and then it's kind of funny. Um, I was in, I was a high school senior. Uh, this was in 94. And um, my, my AP government teacher said, you can get extra extra credit if you go work on a campaign. And Lord knows I needed any bit of extra credit that I could get. And I don't know anything about politics. I'm 17. I wasn't even old enough to vote. And so I went down on Mockingbird Lane to go work for what was then a gentleman by the name of George Bush that was going to run for governor against the incumbent Ann Richards. Um, and I thought, well, I'll go do this. Well, to be real frank with you, what I remember as a 17-year-old, I showed up to that location and they said, yeah, we don't really need you to do anything. And I thought, well, I'm gonna sabotage this and I'm gonna go work for Ann Richards. So I went down the street and I ended up being given a, a phone book, a phone and, and a story of Ann Richards. And they said, make phone calls. So I did. And what I learned from that experience, whether it be Republican or Democrat, I actually believed in Ann Richards. I mean, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that now, right. but yeah, yeah. I, I, I did. And I worked that little bitty campaign for a while and that started my belief of, of how to make change. At Stephen F. Austin, I became the vice president of the student body only because they paid for school. I, you know, it was one of those where, hey, it was a free ride if I won. Um, so I went after it. And then I learned that I didn't want to be a politician. I wanted to make change at a community level without being elected. Um, and that led me into service of teaching government at the high school level, which then led me into wanting for whatever reason to be a city manager. Um, and that's what I've done. And so it was influence, of course, of my own community, my father, um, and working on a campaign that probably more showed me that I don't wanna be a politician, uh, but people use the word bureaucrat negatively. Unfortunately, I wanted to be a bureaucrat. I wanted to make change at a policy level um, in day-to-day -day lives of people and local government for me is where that was not federal not state it was whether people get clean water or not or trash gets picked up or they have great parks to be in I really cared about the day-to-day the -day lives of our community well see that makes a lot of sense to me um, to see what you do to see out of where you've come and to see what a uh, Pflugerville is such a great community right I completely believe in our community and all the work that people do 
um, I, I remember reading somewhere that you took when you were teaching. Uh, so my wife grew up outside of Garland, uh, the Rockwall area. And that when you were teaching, um, you ended up taking your uh, high school students, maybe took mm -hmm. them to the city council meeting at one point. Right? I did. Expose them into that. Um, and I think those kinds of things have ripple effects. Sure. You know, it's funny. I still am in communication with those seniors uh, from 20 years ago. Um, and my students got up and spoke at a public comment um, at, at this meeting. And it was brave of them um, and very, you know, showed their vulnerability as being, you know, kids. And um, what's really funny about it is what they spoke about. At the time, the city of Mesquite held their meetings at like 3 p.m. in the afternoon, two or three. And my students spoke about that and said how unfair it is because their parents are day, you know, hourly employees that can't take off work to go, to go be a part of their government. And today the city of Mesquite does not meet um, at that time. They meet um, in, the, in the evenings. Whether or not that helped catalyst that decision, I saw a lot of head nods happening in those elected officials about that message from a 16-year-old, 17-year-old boy named Tony. It was awesome. See, that's, that's, and see, that, that's what I'm talking about. Like you, you, you said the phrase just now, you said the word, it was brave of them, right? So I have this belief that, uh, that we lead, we need to lead from a place of vulnerability. We need to lead from, lead from a place of authenticity of, yeah, I don't have all the answers. I don't have all, everything together. Um, you told a story one time that I love, that I would love for you to share of when the first time you shot a 22 with your <laughs> yeah. dad. You remember that sure. story? Sure. So my dad being, a, you know, in the army, and like you said, I'm a mix of a preacher's kid and an army brat, which, yes, resulted in 20 years of therapy. I, I remind my father all the time. So, um, you know, he, the, the story is we, we went to my grandfather's uh, land, uh, Farmersville, Texas. We would set cans up on a fence. And my father, at a young age, about 10, wanted to teach me um, the proper ownership of a firearm. And, and he was a very patient man, is a very patient man. And he sat there and went through everything. I mean, even from safety to how to hold the, that firearm, how to breathe, how to sight it in. What are you going to do, Serena, if, if you injure an animal or kill an animal? Are you prepared to do so in the importance of, of firearm safety? And I remember... He kneeled next to me and I, I placed that firearm into my shoulder. I got it all sided in, thought I was doing really good. And I just lowered it. And I remember being like, I said, Daddy, I'm scared. And he looked at me and he said, Baby, you just do it scared. And forever that stays with me that out of, you know, even if I look back at, at my career and moving to Oklahoma, not knowing a soul in the entire state, it was about knowing one that I believe that God puts us into positions that he hasn't, that he has already prepared us for. Um, and you just do it scared. Um, and I think that's important for me today. Um, that still very much is my daddy saying, baby, just do it scared. Yeah. Well, and I, I love that. Um, you once, uh, and I would have been scared to death, but you once, um, it was Christmas Eve. And somebody knocked on your door, the city of Goliad, um, that there was no wastewater certification, right? right. Um, and you had to go to some poor guy. I, 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 I pray he's not listening. But you had to go to poor, some poor guy's house and fire him, let him go. And then you bartered soup to get. Yes, I'm, I'm telling you. So um, 
what I've learned in this business is there's no way I have all the answers. And I think that's one of the first things I had to get over. And I think that people, and I'm going to go ahead and say many women tend to not take leaps into positions because they fear that they're not a hundred percent qualified. I wasn't even close. I'm probably never a hundred percent qualified for what happens in a city. It it's strange every day. So yes, that situation was find your resources and figure it out. I didn't have anybody that could pass the test that the state of Texas requires um, for you to run a wastewater plant. Um, they, most of my employees did not speak English as their first language. It was highly, um, it was very much a barrier uh, for them to pass a test. Um, and there was a local math teacher that I knew and I, I couldn't pay him. We didn't have any money, but he really liked this soup at the deli. And it just so happens that my city attorney owned the deli and I said, can I have some free soup? And so I would pay this guy in pints of soup um, to teach my guys math um, so that they could pass really a test that they knew how to do the work. They just weren't able to pass that, that test. It taught me a lot about what was it, the, the phrase of, you know, don't judge a fish's ability to climb a tree. Those employees were smart and highly capable. We just had to get them through a test. And yes, I, I bartered soup for math lessons. Yeah. And, and I, I think that that's a beautiful lesson, right? Um, it, in, our, in our tribe, in our Backpack Friends tribe, we, we use the phrase, say yes, and then figure it out. Figure it out. Um, right. There's a, and, and it's, it's funny how sometimes those things uh, just line up. Sometimes those things just happen. I, about a year, about two years ago, I, I wanted to write a book. On creativity, right? So I started writing this book, having no idea how to publish a book, how do I format a book, how do I market a book or distribute a book, nothing. So I started writing. And as fate would have it, um, in September uh, of that year, I have a buddy that I went to college with who emailed me and said, Hey, I'm coming through Austin. Uh, I want to get together and let's go to, you know, have breakfast one day. Well, it turns out he works for Barnes and Noble. And so as we sit down for breakfast, I'm telling him about this book idea I have, and I just have no idea how to do it. And he's like, oh, go to this website, do these four things, you know, and in three weeks, you'll be up and published and distributed. And if you have any questions, give me a shout, right? And you just, you do, you just, you do it scared. You have to lean sure. into that, right? Sure. Good reference for Brene Brown. Yes. 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 Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh, man. I love Brene. Sure. Um, Another thing that I love about what you've done, we were just talking before we started taping, was the, uh, the blue bear, right? I know, isn't that such a, can you, can you share with, with people about that, that story? Sure. So whenever I was teaching, so I was taught in early 2000, 2001 era, and I went to Denver to see a friend of mine graduate from law school. And I'm in this convention center, and I'm going down an escalator, and I look outside, I hadn't seen it, this giant, blue bear. It's like three stories tall. And this is pre cell phones, right? So I like run outside. I, I want, I want to picture this bear. I love this bear. And I took a picture of me standing with this bear. And really at the time it was, um, and Tom, you know, this. my love for, um, art, public art. I, I do believe that regardless, and it's my own personal belief, not representing the city of Pflugerville is that all people, regardless of socioeconomic levels, should have access to the arts, whatever that might be, whether it be music, whether it be um, painting, whether it be mu um, a theater, whatever that might be. And so 20 years ago, I, I took a picture of me standing with this blue bear. Um, and, and it was my belief then to make the jump into 
going and working on my master's full time, quit my job, big leap of faith, had no idea how I was going to make money to live um, and, and went full time into my master's. And much of that was my belief that that public can serve that purpose for um, arts. I was very fortunate to have an opportunity to go back and be a speaker at a conference to talk about placemaking and art in Denver um, three years ago. And it's black and white, but I went and made sure that I took the picture at the same, um, at the same spot. I, I would like to believe that I've aged okay. But um, so 20 years ago, that, that story for me is more real than it probably was then that we provide public space. When you think about a city or a state, we own so much land and property. Think about the roads, the right-of-ways. Um, if you lay out a Google map and then try to look at what the city owns, we have so much opportunity to share message, right? And that message can be through many ways. Um, a friend of mine works up in Washington. He shared with me this bridge um, that unfortunately had become a bridge where people would go to end their lives. And they took an opportunity to write messages on the pathway to that bridge that was, you are loved. Someone cares for you. Call your mother, whatever that is. Um, and I think about that all the time, about what message as a community um, do we send to our residents, to our visitors, and how much space we have to do it. I drove by on Finning Lane today, and there's um, someone has yarn bombed uh, the fence a beautiful message. If you haven't learned about yarn bombing, Google that tonight um, and you can see what communities do to draw attention through art and messaging. I think it's critical. It is. It is. I have this belief and I, this, see, this is why I think you are my spirit animal in a lot of ways, right? Uh, is because I, I really, on a, on a very human level, organic kind of level, I believe we need beauty just as much as we need bread. Uh, I don't know, really know that I can articulate that. I don't really understand why that is. Um, but it's, it's the way we're wired. We need that uh, all, you know, even in uh, concentration camps in Auschwitz, right? There was great art that came out of that time, right? So um, that's one of the things that I love about that Blue Bear story is that's the epitome of that. Uh, the other thing is, and we talked about this, a little bit um, for me as a musician, right? Uh, and everything that goes along with that, I kind of see things through that lens mm -hmm. and I kind of see you as a city manager, as kind of a band leader, right? As kind of a city conductor. Um, I, have this, I have this drummer that I play with. Uh, <laughs> um, his name is Colin. And every time the band gets off, he starts playing louder and harder and getting us right back to the beat, right? Right back in the pocket. Mm -hmm. um, and I kind of see you, uh, your leadership as that kind of style. Um, that you, you've got to have clarity. You've got to have vision. You've got to know when to tune out the noise and when to hone in on what's important uh, to keep the band, the city, um, all of those teams and all of those services uh, going in the right direction. Right? You, I mean, you think that's... Sure. So, Tom, this is why we share a brain. I, I often compare my role as a conductor. Um, to me, I, I keep cadence, right? Yeah. Keeping the beat, regardless of COVID, regardless of, of the, the recent international conversation about systemic injustices, whatever that is going around, it's keeping that rhythm and keeping that cadence. Um, a little bit of a spin on it. So when I picture being a conductor, I'm actually conducting my, my team 
that's almost performing and giving um, hope to the community that's in the audience, right? Mm -hmm. But if you really look at a conductor, what's one thing that they have to do is that they have to turn their back on that community to lead at times. And I think about that a lot is um, why I talk a lot about um, ignoring the negativity of a community, the Facebook comments, the um, constant attack on your own people. Um, so keeping that cadence is also so important to me about, I don't know how to, I don't know how to lay a road and I don't know how to play that flute, but I know when it doesn't sound right. And I know that when it's not in, in rhythm, right? And so I'm not able to be that expert. What I love too, as a conductor, is that at the end of it, all I get to do, I get to step away and draw an applause for them, right? Like that's my favorite is being able to say the community that's watching got to see a great performance. And what they don't see behind that is how much we practice that constant symphony practice that we do so that whenever we are on stage in an event such as COVID, an event such as protests, an event such as a natural disaster, whether it be a hurricane or tornado, they see the best of us um, because we practice and we practice behind the scenes a lot together so that we can make it beautiful. Um, and, and that's kind of my conductor thinking is that I do have to turn my back at times. Um, I have to turn my back to be able to lead, um, if that makes much sense. Um, and, and lately that's been real to me. Uh, probably the, the most negative comments I've ever received in my career have probably been in the last six weeks. Um, cause it's whether about why won't I open it? Well, why did you open it? Why, you know, and it's a constant with, um, what's the government's role in keeping a community safe, right? Right. And so that's been new. Um, I'm thankful for my time in Oklahoma. Uh, it taught me about, let's see, I did a, a wildfire that lasted eight days, tornado, earthquakes. I've been through two hurricanes on the coast. Um, and then now I get to add pandemic um, to emergency operations. Yes. And so <clears throat> I hope that my experience brought me a little bit of patience um, and how to um, create a culture that can keep a cadence in the midst of of a hurricane, right? Um, so yes, I love the conductor message. That That's what I do, I conduct. Well, and that's such a beautiful picture of leadership, right? Because all of those experiences uh, that you just mentioned, right? Wildfires and, and all of those things, all of those things have helped keep moving the needle forward, right? Sure. Which is the goal, which is the goal. We've got to keep moving it forward. Uh, the great analogy about that conductor and band and orchestra and all that kind of thing yeah, that I use with, with, with our band is that, that uh, when things go really well, nobody notices the conductor. Nobody notices the sound guy until something goes wrong, right? And then all eyes are on you. Um, so at the end of the performance, when you get to step aside, there, there are people in the audience that go, oh, I forgot she was there because things have run so smoothly. Um, and that's a huge, I mean, that, that's a huge compliment to a conductor, to a band leader. So, um, so that's something I really appreciate. Another thing I appreciate <laughs> is you made the comment just now, uh, you don't know how to, how to lay a road. You don't know how to pave a road. Well, I don't have a clue how to pave a road, but there was a pothole a few blocks from um, my daughter's elementary school that my tire, my truck kept hitting every, like every morning at the drop-off line. And I got, I, I, I had this thing, this idea that I don't want to be a critic I want to be a contributor, right? So what I did in my ignorance, um, <laughs> I, I thought I'm going to fix this pothole. The city is busy. They got other things going on. Um, there was, I can't remember what was happening, but it was, 
it was a busy time in the fall. Um, so I, I drove to Home Depot and I bought a couple of bags of gravel and I filled that pothole and I set up my little tripod and I made this Facebook video and it was great. Thousands of people like hopped on and went, Hey, yay, you, you know, good job. Yeah. We need to pull together. We're here community build, you know, for each other, build that space. Well, in about two days, I realized that every car I know I made a mess. Um, <laughs> every car had driven through that and just spread gravel everywhere. And I started getting these Facebook messages um, who were singing your praises, who are now blasting you because, you know, now I'm driving my $50,000, she said, I'm driving my $50,000, you know, SUV through this gravel. Yeah, right. And I'm like, well, you know, those SUVs, they drive on gravel pretty good. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> I, I wanted to. But tempting. Always tempting. I know. So, but, but, so what happened was, Two days later, the city shows up and they pave like they do it right. Right, that's their jam. They know what they're doing. Um, so I got back out, made another video, and sung the praises of the crew that came out. Hey, this is great. They fixed my mess. I tried. I failed miserably. Um, the point was on the journey when you when you do it scared, when you just go, I don't know. I'm just going to figure it out. You do it. There will be people that come alongside you to help to help you in your mission, to help you do what you're trying to get done, who can probably do it better. They just need a place to plug in. They need a place to jump on board and, and play the flute, right? To play the drum. So that's been a really encouraging thing that I've been able to watch across the community is people jump in. Uh, even though one of the things that you, I heard you say one time is that there's less than 1% of that's really engaged in building it. And the other 99 are just consumers right? Sure. So we've got 70,000-ish people in Pflugerville. Um, and I think that one of the, I think that you've been successful. Um, one, because you're a rock star, but two, because you also empower people. You believe, you believe in people. You know, you believe in empowering people, saying yes, uh, as, as much as possible uh, to contribute to a strong community, right? Uh, one of the things I read said that you once said, public servants don't burn out because of what they do, they burn out because they forget why they do it, right? So how important is our why to what we do, to, to, to leadership, whether it's a nonprofit or a city or whatever it is? Sure, just like those individuals that are fixing that pothole, we can't look at it and we can't approach them as people that fix potholes they're building roads. They're, they're building roads so that they can get their children to school safely, so that they can get to work, so that they can go to church, so they can go to their third space, whether that be the library or West Pecan Coffee, is, is that we have to show a bigger mission always to the individuals that are performing those small tasks, right? Like, you don't just give out backpacks. You don't just do those small things and those small tasks. So I think echoing in a community over and over the importance of each role is, is, is important to me. I, I think of the, the bricklayer, you know, you go and you ask one bricklayer, well, what are you doing? Well, I'm laying bricks. You go to the next bricklayer, what are you doing? I'm building the world's most beautiful cathedral, right? And so it's about teaching that bigger um, 
bigger picture of what local government really does for people. But I, I do believe, and I'm okay with it. You know, people say all the time, well, people are just apathetic. It, it's not that people are apathetic in a community. I don't expect people to come to all my council meetings, right? That's not where they spend their time. Where they spend their time is loving on their family, right? So they're worried about, well, lately homeschooling three kids and, and, and having 18 different teachers. And how am I going to um, put food on the table? And how am I going to save for retirement? And how they have people in our society have so much other things than really showing up to a, a local government meeting and, and, and trying to do something. What I need to happen is that we're taking care of that pothole before you have to. We're creating a community by which you don't have to come and complain. Um, you know this, nobody shows up to council meeting like, thank you so much. Like my street lights came on, toilets flush, water works, and 911 showed up, right? Like we don't get that kind of praise um, in any industry. Uh, we hear complaints and not to say that they're not important important, but creating a culture that, that ignores those complaints. You've quoted it before. I've seen you do it. One of my favorite uh, lessons from Brene Brown was ignoring the cheap seats. And if you go back and look at Teddy Roosevelt's speech about being in the arena. And so I continue to talk to my staff about we're in the arena with dirt and mud and falling on our face over and over and getting back up. So how dare I listen to the person in the 300 seats yelling at me that it's a strike or a ball when they can't see, when, they, when they're not in the arena with that fight, right? So um, I do also share a message with my staff of, um, stay in that arena and at times we ignore that 300 level seat right um because we're always as a as a local government going to have um excuse me going to have people in the cheap seats telling us how to do our jobs oh absolutely absolutely and and i think for for me the way that i get through those times is to remember my why right yeah, absolutely people who attach what they do to what i call big old reason right? It's family, it's faith, it's mission, it's vision. When, you, when you're in there in the dirt on your face, um, in the trenches, and you've got those big old reasons why, then that's the fuel that keeps you going through all those criticisms. Sure. Right? I don't want people that work in, 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 for the city of Pflugerville that don't know their why. Um, we talk about that. Um, you know, I'm so fortunate to be with people that know, let's be frank, you could be an engineer in the private sector and make a lot more money. Sure. But my engineers are making sure that Colorado Sands goes through, that the school districts are, are served, that people have the ability, and they are high, high performing engineers, um, that they're wise because they believe in the public space, right? So um, from wastewater engineers that really care about the wastewater plant, um, because they know that, that it affects lives directly. Sure. No, th their why is enabling me to make memories at the soccer field with my little girl. Yep, without knowing we exist, right? Yeah, yeah. The, yes. What they do <laughs> enables me to, to have an amazing life. Here. Sure. And that's how we want it. That's why I'm okay that if 1% are the only ones, you know, truly engaged because it should work where the other 99% is happy. They're taking their kids to soccer. They're doing those things because we're able to perform at a high level. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, uh, last question. Um, if you could have one billboard, one social media post, one thing on the gram that would go out forever and ever to everyone that everybody on the planet would see, what would it say? What would you want to say to the world? 
Oh, Tom, you're killing me. <laughs> you can tell I always have a lot to say, right? <laughs> um, I mean, you know, it's funny. Um, in recent times, um, let's be frank, I, I've um, done some real deep reflection about my privilege and my misunderstanding of that. And I continue uh, to strive to understand better. So there's so many things lately that I've wanted to say. Um, but I think overall, um, I believe in creating culture that ignores the fringes, kind of what we were talking about. Whether that be a culture and a nonprofit about what you're doing is kind of getting past the fringes. What I've learned in my business is if I listened to all 15 people out of 70,000 that are mad about XYZ, I will never move forward. Um, and I don't mean it in some derogatory, ugly way to ignore the fringes recognize and move on. Um, and so for me, creating a culture that can get past the negativity, get past the comments, take those comments, see if there's validity and quickly move forward for me is, is true of communities, true of organizations. Um, and I hope that I lead city of Pflugerville in a way that creates a culture um, that ignores the fringes. Yeah, I think that's great. You know, I, I um, from, my end from preparing for this interview for us to spend some time together. Um, the things I have learned from you. Uh, I, the reason I asked that question is because if I had a billboard or I had one tweet to send to the world, it would, it keeps changing, right? Because we're right. evolving and we're learning and whatever. Um, so I think today, if I had to make that choice, it would just say, do it scared. Do it scared. Friend. That's kind of where I am. We have, we have to lean into it and, whether it's talking about racism and injustice, whether it's talking about equality, whether it's talking about how do we make our communities better, we don't have all the answers, but we have to just do it scared. We just gotta keep pushing, right? Sure, do so, it scared. Yeah, I love it. Uh, I, can I add one more thing? I like you, love quotes, and I just realized this is my dressing room slash my new home study, I guess. Um, I always keep quotes around me. And regardless of the artist that sang it, I keep man in the mirror up right now, and then I'll repaint over it and I'll do more. Um, and for me, the do it scared ties into, if we wanna make change, we've gotta look in that mirror and take a look um, at what we're doing um, ourselves. So when I get ready every morning and put on my jewelry, um, I make sure that I know that it, it begins in me. That's awesome. And I can imagine, I can picture in my head, you, you getting ready and putting on your jewelry and looking at that and doing a little moonwalk and getting ready to face the day, right? Yes, yes. So, yeah. Thank you, Tom. No, I love it. Listen, um, Serena, I'm so happy to have you as a friend. Uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for taking time to chat, to share not with, just with me, but with everybody, uh, everybody that's gonna be listening and watching this on YouTube and all across social. Um, you are a, you're a real inspiration to our community. Uh, so thank, I appreciate it. Thank you, Tom. You keep doing good work. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Uh, now, Serena and I would love to hear from you. We talked about a lot of things today. Uh, so my question is, what's the one biggest single insight that you're taking away from today's conversation? What can you take and put it into action? You know, the, the richest conversations always happen later in the Backpack Friends Insiders group on Facebook. So head over there right now, jump in, connect with the rest of the tribe, and be inspired. Remember, leadership isn't about being in charge. It's about caring for those in your charge. So thanks for being here, and I will see you soon.
Hey, thanks for listening. If this podcast has brought you any value, if it's motivated you, inspired you, or caused you want to take action and help make your world a better place, please subscribe to the podcast. Send it to someone who might need to hear it just as much as you do. Also, I've had a lot of people ask, what can we do to help Backpack Friends? It's real simple. Go to backpackfriends.com slash donate, and for as little as $10 a month, you can help us wipe out weekend hunger. That's what we're doing, and we couldn't do it without the Backpack Friends Nation. I'll see you there. If you have any questions, give me a shout.